the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press player, press support. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we are talking updated consensus rankings. So, as usual, we're going to start things off with the most interesting player alive today. And today was one of those where we're not going to be going strictly by the book because Scott Casimir is actually the most searched for player on Fangraphs and we've already talked about him. So we're going to go down to number two and that's R.A. Dickey who, you know, actually published an article about just this morning about his loss of velocity. What is going on with R.A. Dickey and is he somebody fantasy owners should buy low, maybe sell low? What is a fantasy owner to do? Yeah, that one's a tough one because um, he, he's still getting whiffs. I mean, you know, nine nine 9.9% whiffs, that's uh, top 30, you know. So that's already, you know, that makes him fantasy relevant and makes him, a, uh, you know, a top, you know, like a number two, number three. I always kind of thought of him as a number two, number three because there was always the risk that he'd go back to what he did in 2010, 2011, which was good, but it wasn't fantasy great because he had sort of a six strikeouts per nine uh baseline those couple of years five you know five the high fives low sixes so you know in the good news is that he hasn't actually gone all the way back to that and he's still getting over seven strikeouts per nine uh the bad news is that he's actually lost velocity on his knuckler and that actually means something because his his fast hard knuckler was his best knuckler um and so he's lost a little bit um, off the top and you know as a 38 year old maybe maybe that's just what happens yeah you know I think the strikeout rate is actually at a level that you would have expected coming into the season because he was moving into the American League you had to assume some regression just based on his history so I'm not really concerned about the strikeout rate but really it's the walk rate and his first strike percentage is way down way below the league average nearly 10 percent below where he was at last year. His zone percentage is also easily a career low. Actually, it's the first time it's ever been below 50%, which is pretty crazy. Uh, he's had a you know a pretty long career. And so really it's a control. And do you think the, the decline in velocity has anything to do with it, or maybe it's just the injuries he's, he's been battling? Well, there's actually um, some competing uh, issues at play here. So in the past, we've found that the uh, the hard knuckler um, has less movement than his other knucklers. So, uh, and he also used it in um, in hitters counts last year. So it was a, basically a strike getting pitch for him, um, and so that made me think that the lost velocity was hurting him in the walk rate most of all because he didn't have that hard straight knuckler that he could throw for strikes. Ah, I see. So now the knuckler is dancing too much, and it's more of a let me throw. I'm not sure exactly where it's going, and it's going for a ball more often. That's that's my theory, um, and I you know I have those two pieces of evidence to support it. I've talked to some people since the piece came out, and um, you know there's a couple other interesting ideas. Um, one was uh, uh, from the commenters saying that he's being squeezed, 
um, that he's only getting 70% of his um, strikes in the zone are being called strikes. But how does that compare to previous years? Because I would think that knucklers, that might be a consistent issue for them. Yeah, that's something that um, I hope to look into. Also, um, you know, Josh Smolo, Garrick16 on Twitter, um, questioned the the use or the, the... the hard knuckler's best use, because he said that the hard knuckler was actually best for strikeouts, uh, for whiffs and grounders. So um, maybe that's affecting his home run rate is a little bit up. And you don't know if that's the home park or if that's the, the, the velocity loss. Uh, but it, it was true that his his fast knuckler got more ground balls. So um, And you also know that if, 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 the, if the fast knuckler got more whiffs, that can actually um, have something to do with your strikeout rate, because we've talked about this before, but... You know, if someone reaches on a, on a pitch and, and, and misses it, then they've turned a ball into a strike. So um, I think it's all related to the, the lost velocity in a way. Um, and that's that's upsetting because that's not necessarily something that comes back. But on the other hand, he's been dealing with some physical ailments, some neck and back issues. It's possible there's a 15-day DL in front of him. Um and then there's another possibility that this is the new R.A. Dickey and that maybe his home run, rate, home run rate comes down a little bit and he's sort of a high threes, uh, low fours, kind of Tim Wakefield type with a little bit more strikeouts. Yeah, and that ground ball rate is also down. It's actually at its lowest uh, since 2006. Uh, that was only three innings. So this is basically a career low uh, ground ball rate, which again jives with – the idea that the hard knuckler is what induced the ground balls, and now that he lost some speed off of that, he's inducing fewer ground balls. So basically everything that you're saying, in theory, is supported by the stats, which is kind of cool because then we might actually have our explanation. So yeah, but it's also not cool because <laughs> the velocity doesn't tend to come back. <laughs> well, it's not cool if you're an owner, of course. So <laughs> well, maybe you wonder uh, how much the injuries – that he's dealing with has affected his velocity. You think maybe it's uh, an injury thing and maybe he'll just, whether he goes on the DL or not, if he gets healthier as the year progresses, maybe that velocity ticks up? Or do we just look at his age and just think, you know, he probably won't see a velocity increase. This is the new R.A. Dickey, a four ERA guy. He's not a buy low guy and maybe he's somebody to sell low if somebody thinks that he's going to rebound. Yeah, um, it, he's played with injury in the past, and he play, played through a torn fasciitis. Um, he he started last year slow, and, and the velocity was a little, little bit lower in the early season, and then he, he, he pushed it up a little bit. Um, you know, this is how age gets to you, you know. It's not, it's not only these like little things, it's not only like lost velocity. It's like, you know, oh, my neck is hurting me, my back is hurting me, my hips are hurting me, whatever. And that can that can rob performance too. So I, I don't have an easy answer. If you were going to give me R.A. Dickey um, on the real cheap, you know, for like a Chris Tillman or, or um, you know, I don't know, who's an outfielder, uh, you know, I guess maybe like a Garrett Jones or something, like a platoon outfielder or something. You take uh, that deal. I think I'd take that deal. Just just hoping that I got like a three seven five good whip, uh, seven strikeouts per nine back end sort of filler rotation guy. I don't think you can depend on that from Chris Tillman, by the way. 
No, of course not. So you have to obviously take that deal just based on the upside of R.A. Dickey. But I think we're in agreement that clearly the Dickey from the last two years is not coming back. And maybe the best you can hope for right now. I mean, he's in a, a major hitter's ballpark in the American League now as opposed to the National League. And so maybe the best you can hope for is a 375 ERA right now. I think so. Yeah. All right, let's move along. This morning we posted our updated consensus first base rankings. And as usual, we had a firestorm of discussion in the comments. Uh, everybody uh, complaining about their players. Why is this guy ranked here? He should be lower. He should be higher. And one of the guys that really uh, engaged in discussion was Eric Hosmer. And I think everybody was saying that we ranked him a little too high because he stinks. He can't hit the inside fastball or whatever and blah, blah, blah. So is this true? Are we overrating uh, Eric Hosmer's prospects for the remainder of the year? Remember, of course, these are rest-of-season rankings. So what the player has already done serves no actual weight. It only basically weighs toward what we could expect moving forward. But, again, this is only based on what we expect moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, early in the season, the, 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 there are a few takeaways. I mean, especially with, uh, with power. There, there aren't many takeaways with power unless batted ball mix has changed. And in Eric Hosmer's case, his batted ball mix is terrible. He hits way too many um, he hits way too many ground balls, but that hasn't changed. You know, he's still Eric Hosmer. He's been doing that forever. So I don't think that, you know, he's proven that he can hit 15 to 20 homers with that batted ball mix. So I'm not so super worried about his power. What has changed is not is something that has nothing to do with Eric Hosmer. Stolen bases are super down across the league. So I know that people don't like to get stolen bases from their first baseman, and they find it. And, and I think they tend to devalue things like that. Like, it was like the Russell Martin problem. People are always like, ugh, Russell Martin. But you're like, well, by the way, 10, 10 stolen bases, 10 stolen bases. So, you know, around baseball, stolen bases are down. Uh, they're almost twice as rare as home runs now, thanks to Zimmerman. He, he posted that. So they're twice as rare as home runs. So, you know, getting 10, 10 stolen bases from Hosmer and maybe 20 uh, home runs, that's that might be kind of like having a, a 2015 guy or a 2020 guy in the past. And, and now you're looking at something that sounds a little more interesting, I think. Yeah, Michael Kodair has also s- suffered the same perceived value issue, is that as a first base or outfielder, you usually want at least 25, 30 home runs. He's probably not going to give that to you, although, I mean, he's on pace for that this year. But he's a 20 home run, 10 stolen base guy. And fantasy owners tend to ignore 10 stolen bases from first baseman for some reason. It seems as if if the guy doesn't steal at least 20 bases, then 5 to 10 steals just don't get valued. And that shouldn't be. I mean, 5 to 10 stolen bases is basically equivalent to 10 to 20 home runs. So instead of looking at somebody like Eric Hosmer as a 15-10 guy, instead look at him as a 30-0 guy. And suddenly the perceived value would increase, but his actual value wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And I think, you know, the batting average is a, an open question. He's kind of had um, he's had different batting average years, very you know wildly different batting average years. So I don't think that we necessarily know his true talent when it comes to sort of contact and Babbitt because he's a he had a Babbitt outlier year, but he also has the kind of skills that might produce nice batting average on balls in play because he 
hits the ball on the ground. He's a fast guy uh, for his position, at least. And, um, you know, I think he could take advantage of those things and have a nice batting average on ball to play. So my sort of back of the uh, back, back of the napkin is uh, full season 275, 15, 10, 15, 12. So that doesn't that doesn't sound like your normal first baseman, but I, I think that it you know we're talking about him as a util player because we've got in, in most leagues because we've got him at 15. So we're talking about putting him in at your utility slot, and I think that sounds perfect for a utility slot. And what's funny is this year he's actually pulling a Joey Votto. Check out that line drive rate. It's near 25%, and that's robbing him of fly balls, which is exactly what's happening with Joey Votto. So in real a real baseball sense, that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you can hit line drives all over the field that you know are going to be going for hits more often than fly balls, that's fantastic. It's just not that great for a fantasy owner because he's now going for batting average instead of home runs. So that's not necessarily a trade-off the fantasy owners like. But it's pretty good in real baseball. And it's funny because his fly ball rate now is only 20% because he's hitting all of those line drives. And, of course, he's hitting uh, ground balls more than 50% as well. So you wonder if that batted ball mix is going to stick because it's just odd for a first baseman to hit that many ground balls, that few fly balls. I mean, this is like a Joe Maurer, basically. And yeah, he's a little Billy, little Billy Butler in him. I mean, Butler had the same problem. And he just kind of made it a little bit better every year and hit a couple more fly balls every year. So I, I still have some hope for Hosmer long term. Um, and I think the team does too. So Yeah, I, I don't see anything. I mean, the batted ball profile basically tells me that he's hitting the ball well. He's seeing the ball well. It's just he's not lifting the ball, which, again, I'm not as concerned about because the home runs will come. We know that the steals are there. And he's not going to hit 230 again. So I stand behind where we ranked – Eric Hosmer, and uh, I don't think it's too high. Well, that, you know, the the big, the hardest problem I think for people is that Chris Davis uh, is only one spot ahead of him, and some of us had him, Chris Davis, ranked uh, below Eric Hosmer. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, you're one of them. Explain yourself, please. <laughs> uh, well, I had him oh, one, one rank, one rank yeah, behind him. I don't think that that was a big deal for me. I, I thought of them as similar because. I, I think uh, when you were just talking about the sort of 270-30 versus, you know, 270-15-15 or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's, I see Chris Davis as a 270 hitter or worse because I know that he's improved his play discipline and he's, and he's making more contact and he's, he's swinging less and that there are, there are good things going on in his play discipline. I, I know that. But he's improved his strikeout rate to bad from terrible. <laughs> So I don't, I don't think that we can just like you know, you know, be like, oh, hey, Chris Davis, three hundred hitter. So I mean, I looked at he's basically got a twenty five percent strikeout rate. I looked last year, there was not a single person with a twenty five percent strikeout rate or worse that hit three hundred, and and the best was something like two eighty one. So if he's at three, if he's over three hundred now and he's going to get to two eighty one, I see sort of two sixty rest of season with you know with the real power, and. Um, you know that that sort of that, I think that that brings him down to sort of an equivalent level as Eric Hosmer. Well, all right, let's analyze this a bit more in depth. Chris Davis's career average BABIP is at 337. Right now, it's at 354. He has not popped up once all season, and he's never had a high infield fly ball rate. 
and he's hitting a bunch more fly balls. His uh, his line drive rate is a bit down, all suggesting that maybe the 354 is not sustainable. It'll drop a bit. But this is a guy who's always posted well above average bet bit marks. And uh, in 2011, obviously only 200 at bats. It was a 366. He's posted a 351 before. So I don't think the BABIP is necessarily going to come down that much. And the home number fly ball rate is almost identical to last year. So really, I think the open question is whether that improved strikeout rate is sustainable. I think that's where we have to wonder. And if we say it is, then he actually is a, a stealth 300 hitter the rest of the year. I think maybe a 280, 290, 300 average actually could be sustainable for the rest of the year, given that his other metrics are look normal and, and look repeatable. Well, I mean, a 350 ISO is not really repeatable. No, meaning that maybe he's not going to hit as many doubles. But look at the home number fly ball rate. 26% last year was at 25%. So I think that's repeatable. Well, let me do a, a quick search here. I'm going to do split seasons 2011-2013. So I'm going to open this up to three seasons worth of data. Uh, we are going to get some people from this year that aren't in a full sample. So... Uh, all right, we're going to do strikeout rate, and uh, the first page goes down to 27%. There is not a single 300 hitter on this page, and the top one is Chris Davis with 270. He has the best strikeout, he has the best average, batting average, of a player with a 27% strikeout rate or better. And that he had 270 with a 335 Babbitt that year. So let's go to the second page. Now we're talking about people that are a little bit more like him. 27% down to 24.9%. The best batting average on this page is 285. Josh Hamilton with a 320 BABIP and 289 Justin Upton with a 313 BABIP. Okay. Uh, I think he can hit, he could finish the year. I think he could hit, um, maybe he could hit 275 from the rest of the way out. I mean, we're so talking. So generous about, of you with your projection. <laughs> what's that? I said, so generous of you from your projection. You increase from 270, oh, maybe 275. Well, there's two. There's 60 players here with a with a strikeout rate uh, that you know, like like he's had or more like his career rate. So. Yeah. So what I think it comes down to is I don't think. It's a good bet. The odds are not in your favor if you think he's going to hit 300 the rest of the way. But I think the odds are a little higher than the knee-jerk reaction would be. I mean, because when you would think to yourself, Chris Davis 300, of course not. But I think if you dive deep enough, maybe it's not as far-fetched as we may think. Well, look at this. Look at this. Chris Johnson in 2012 had a 25% strikeout rate. He had a 354 Babbitt. And his batting average on the year was 281. Yeah, well, his home run per fly ball rate was a lot lower. And home runs, obviously, are automatic hits. They're not part of BABIP, so you have to also include that into your projection. So I think that's the difference there. Yeah, it's just a question of how much. And that's why I brought up his 350 ISO. So Yeah, 350 uh, ISO is insane. That, <laughs> that's crazy. I'd give, him a three th- I'd give him his career BABIP going forward. And... Um, 
you know, the projections have him with his career Babbitt going forward. So Right, and worsening strikeout rate. So th- that's where it lies. Can he maintain this improved strikeout rate or not? And we don't know. I mean, right now, his contact percentage is up, and it validates the improved strikeout rate. But we don't know if that can continue. It's only been a month and a half, and that's not exactly the biggest sample size to really know if that's a true skill improvement or not. Yeah, and in a similar sample size with the Rangers in 2010, he had the same contact rate, and he had a 29% strikeout rate. So, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. His his plate discipline has gotten better, and he's he's probably a better player, and he's walking more now because because uh, I think people are scared of him. I mean, he's hitting the crap out of the ball. Yeah, that's very uh, possible. But, uh, you know, there's also... Just a, a week or two without any home runs, and then you know they start challenging him a little bit more, and then the whiffs start coming out, and then he has a, a bad month. And you know, I I, I don't think he's going to fundamentally change um, so drastically at 27. All right, well, let's move on to somebody who is a lot older than 27, and we took a lot of crap for in the comments as well for not moving him down further, and that's Albert Pujols. Uh, both you and Jeff Zimmerman, whose uh, ranking is based almost solely on zips rest of season, both of you guys kept him at one. I dropped him to two, and Zach Sanders dropped him to six. So obviously the commenters think somebody said that he should not even be top ten moving forward. And I mean this is a guy we know he's injured, but we can't be positive how much the injury has affected him. Again, we can never be sure. Is it the injury or is it just – you know, a somewhat slow start that anybody could suffer right now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's actually ahead of the start that he had last year. Um, and uh, he's not that far off a 30-home run pace. He's got five home runs already. So, um, you know, are we talking about his batting average? Because his BABIP is 236, and his career BABIP is over 300. He, he doesn't strike out, so it's not a strikeout problem. Uh, so basically, we're just talking about his isolated uh, slugging percentage because, you know, even his home run totals are okay, you know, and, you know, ISO doesn't uh, stabilize until, you know, August. So I, I think, uh, um, I think we're a good two weeks away from, you know, looking at this like last year. I, I will admit, I don't like the way he looks at the plate in terms of his knees and he just doesn't look super healthy. So I, I understand where people are coming from, but, I think that he could get healthy, um, and I think that uh, he can hit 280, 290 with 30 home runs, and that's that's. I mean, we're not sure that Rizzo is going to do that. Yeah, uh, I think people forget and ignore that we we went through the same song and dance last year when Pujols started even slower than he has now. But of course, I don't think he was really dealing with the injury issues that we know he's dealing with this year. It's true that the plantar fasciitis and the knees, I don't know. But see, the thing is, I'm not a doctor, you know? And I think that guys like that, sometimes they look bad and, then you know, sometimes they take a weekend off or they take a game off and they feel a little better. Yeah. Remember um, Carlos Beltran? He had the broken toe. And I, I owned him in one league. I was ready to just trade him away for whatever. And he was off to a slow start. Then all of a sudden, he had a great couple of weeks. And now he's having a, a very good season again. And you wonder, oh, so much for the broken toe. So I feel like this could happen with Pujols. Any week he gets hot and people will completely forget about all his injury problems. I mean, that's a great example. Because I, I 
I am guilty of having written Carlos Beltran off almost completely because when he left New York, when he came back uh, in New York, I thought his knees are hanging on by a thread. He looks terrible out there. When when people in St. Louis said, "Oh, maybe he can play a little center," I said, "Oh, maybe he can play a little DH for you, or or um, maybe he can play DL." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm I I think that he's a great example of a guy that has looked bad and sort of gotten healthy and now is having a great, great season. So, you know, I wouldn't. I, I just the power is the one thing that I'm that I just want you want people to wait on the longest. If they're looking at a player and they're saying, "Where's the power? The power's been there in the past. He has a long track record of the power, but it's not there right now." I say it's coming and. He's going to have like a five-homer week, and now then we're going to look stupid. Uh, I hope so. But one last thing I want to say about Pujols, that I want to move on to our Twitter question. And I just wonder, if he's really hurting this bad, you would think he would go on the DL, get a 15-minute rest, and he hasn't. So that suggests to me that maybe it really isn't that terrible, and it's not killing him at the plate. Otherwise, why would the Angels continue to allow him to go out there if he's really, really hurting. Give him a 15-day rest. It hasn't happened, so I can't imagine it being that, that bad. They also own him for a really long time, and they have a lot of money invested in him. So, you know, even if this season feels like, in a way, it might be slipping away and they're pushing him to be out there and play, they have to also know how many more millions of dollars they're spending on him. So I think that it would be in their best interest to have him be fully healthy, and if he's telling them that he's fine, then he's fine. Yeah, okay. Now we are going to uh, do a new segment. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, if you guys have any questions you want to ask us on Twitter, you could tweet at us with a question, and we'll try to get to a couple of questions each episode. So today's Twitter question comes from Kevin Stepp, at KK Step with two Ps. And his question is, uh, also relating to our first base ranks, have you seen enough of Paul Canerco to write him off? Strikeout percentage, swinging strike percentage is up. Contact percentage, walk percentage is down. And now, Paul Canerco is one of my favorite players. I own an authentic jersey of him. Uh, I rarely ever own him in fantasy leagues. I have no idea why. It's kind of a running joke because I, I actually wear my Canerco jersey to my local league auction. And and I never end up purchasing him. And everybody looks at me like, well, what's going on? Why didn't you bid? I'm like, eh, I, I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, he's off to a disappointing start. He's batting 214. His power is down. Strikeout rate is up, walk rate is down, nothing is looking good. Um, actually, there is something that's looking good, so we'll get to that. But, you know, what are your thoughts here on Canerco? Is he a buy low or is he just too old? Well, he did say it was his last season, didn't he? Really? He's retiring after this year? I thought I heard something about that. But, uh, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a sort of general uh, downward progression for, for his power, which, I mean, makes sense. He's an old guy. Uh, he's, uh, how old is he now? He's 37. He's 30, yeah. So I, I, I think he's coming off his power peak and, um, you know, I, I see him maybe as a true talent, you know, like basically like last year, I, I, I see last year as totally possible in every way except for batting average. You see, I think that the, one of the hardest things for us fantasy owners to do is figure out what the deal is with an old player. If they're off to a slow start, is it the beginning of the end and they lose bat speed and, I mean, are they going to rebound or not? Or is it just a slow start and they're going to rebound? You just don't know when father time really is going to come around and it's the beginning of a, a big, serious decline. So, 
I mean, we look at more strikeouts, fewer walks, but look at his batted ball distribution. It's really weird. He's hitting a ton of line drive the most of his career, and he hasn't popped it up either once all season, just like Chris Davis, which is great, great for his BABIP, but his fly ball rate is at 49%, which is also a career high. So it's just an odd mix, and you really wonder what to make of it. I mean, if his power is down and he just keeps on hitting harmless fly balls to the outfielders, then that's obviously a problem. It would explain why his BABIP is down, but it should be good for his power if he still had power. So I just wonder. Yeah, yeah I think that one's interesting. But, you know, and the contact rate is um, is is a problem, and it isn't. I mean, it, it is the worst of his career, so that's not good. But it's also, uh, and the strikeout rate is also the worst of his career, but it's they're also uh, better than average still. Um, and he's made a lot of contact over his career. Then again, he's also had a lot of bad BABIPs over his career, and he's had a lot of bad batting averages. So, I just um, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't peg him for much. I, I would be more um, I would take the updated uh, zips and steamer numbers as the rest of season. So, in terms of batting average, so I'd say I think he can hit 260 even with the strikeout rate going forward. Um, just I think the BABIP will come up a little bit. The line drives are good. Um, and you know, the power will come back a little bit, but I don't think it's going to go back, um, you know, back to thirties. So I think he'll, he'll, uh, he'll hit 260 with another 15, 16 homers. Yeah. Time to find a new player for myself, a new favorite player. Yeah. <laughs> but so, I mean, bottom line, I think I would recommend, I think I still would try buying low in an AL only lead because I'm sure his owner's are also panicking that, you know, he's 37 years old, this is the beginning of the end, let me pawn him off for anything I can get. But in a mixed league, I probably would steer clear, just because at this point, he might very well not be much above replacement level. Yeah, it's hard to see that he won't be useful in a utility spot, but I would, uh, if he was your first baseman, I would try to figure something out in a mixed league. But I would also try to keep him on the bench if that's possible. Uh, just for the outside chance that he eats up. All right, let's move along to our catcher consensus ranking update, which we have not yet gotten as many crazy comments as the first base rankings. I guess because a lot of people are in one catcher leagues and they're just like, all right, all I care about is a top 12, everybody else who cares. And people just hate catchers. So they just assume that everybody sucks and they just like, whatever, I don't care. But there yes, are, started with first baseman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there are some interesting cases here. And that First off is Evan Gaddis. And Evan Gaddis's rankings were all over the place. Let's go through them. The consensus ranking for Evan Gaddis was 18. Jeff Zimmerman, 16. You, 8. Me, 25. And Zach Sanders, 20. That's basically saying, we have no clue what to rank Evan Gaddis, so we're just going to throw numbers all over the place, and hopefully the consensus is close to correct. But I want yeah. to ask you, because obviously playing time is going to be the biggest factor here. You ranked him eight, so what are you thinking? Um, I think that he's... I think that his track record, his power track record is strong in the minor leagues, and that his bat, his uh, strikeout rate is going to get better, but you know, with regards to playing time, I think he's just he's carved it out. Um, and you know, when it comes to injury or, uh, platoons or, uh, just, just DHing, um, you know, in their, in their interleague series, uh, I feel like he's gonna, he's gonna find time. Look, I like Evan Gaddis. I think 
so far his performance is pretty much for real. I mean, his power probably can't sustain at the level he has so far, but he's always shown very good power. So for the most part, I think he is for real. But with Jason Hayward slated to return by the end of the week, where is he going to play? I mean, Brian McCann has come back. He, you know, I, I drafted Brian McCann in one league. And I thought he would be a trade chip because I really didn't like him coming off his shoulder surgery. I never like a hitter coming off of shoulder surgery. But he already has like three home runs in his first week back, so clearly he's healthy. Gaddis is not going to play over him uh, at catcher. So where is Gaddis going to get his at-bats when it's not in an AL park? Well, Gaddis doesn't actually have to uh, play over Brian McCann. He just has to beat out Gerald Laird. Um, for so so that could be two starts a week. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Hayward has been platooned in the past. Oh gosh, don't remind me. <laughs> so uh, there you go. There there could you might get a one start a week. Uh, oh, you know what? Hayward's abdominal. You know, we just wanted to rest him. So you know. Oh, and oh, it happens to be Cole Hamels pitching today. Um, and uh, so there's maybe three starts a week. Um, and then, uh, you know, if Justin Upton needs a blow or, uh, hey, guess what? Freddie Freeman is also a left-hander. Um, so you could, uh, you could sit Freddie for, for a day against a left-hander. And uh, now you're up to maybe four starts a week. And, you know, four starts a week, um, that could be, that's like uh, 15, 20 plate appearances. Uh, you know. I think he's shown that he can hit another 10, 15 home runs in that time. Yeah, and you know, by the way, it's a tiny sample size, but Evan Gaddis has a 459 Woba against lefties in the majors with the Braves, and he's destroyed lefties in the minors as well. So it is reasonable and might not be such a bad strategy by Freddie Gonzalez to give Hayward, to give Freeman, to give McCann a rest every so often against lefties to get Gaddis's bat into the lineup. So... Being, you know, the second catcher, he'll get, you know, a start or two per week when McCann rests to begin with, even against right-handers. And then Gaddis should get some starts against lefties, and then he'll DH as well. So, although I haven't come around to the number eight ranking, maybe my 25 is a bit too low because he might play a little more than I expected. And when he does play, I think he will be continuing to, to hit well. There's also sort of a general point when it comes to the rankings, um, is that... There are times when you, the tiers are helpful, and that's why we continue to have our positional um, coverage. Those guys do tiered rankings because if you did uh, a tiered, if you asked me to sort of tier guys right around Gaddis down to about 15 or 16, uh, I think that there's it's a really, really tough to differentiate between those guys. Because basically, if you told me like 255 and uh, 10 to 15 homers the rest of the way. It's a lot of players. Yeah, I would tell you uh, Gaddis, Lucroy, Montero, Przinsky, the other Montero even, Domit, I mean, Ruiz. Who are these guys? Who are these guys has a standout tool? Przinsky might have a little bit better batting average, a little bit fewer home runs. Lucroy might do that. But they're all. You know, they're all in this scrum that goes from about 12, you know, overall 12 ranking down to 16, 17, you know. Even Russell Martin, yeah, he steals some bases, but he doesn't, um, he, he, he doesn't usually have a good batting average. So, 
uh, <clears throat> I think that's a that's a scrum. And I think if I was in a 12-team league and I owned anybody below Victor Martinez on the overall ranks, so that's Lucroy, one of the Monteros, Brzezinski, Gaddis, Domit, Ruiz, Martin, I would have a really hard time actually deciding what to do. I might um, stream based on matchups. Uh, who's in Colorado? Uh, you know, who's in Texas? Um, I don't know. I might do daily streaming. You know, who's up against a bad pitcher? Who's lefty? Do red lefty righty splits? Uh, you know, I think that seriously, from like eleven to almost twenty is 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 very interchangeable. The dart dartboard. Yeah. Uh, speaking of dartboard, what do the Padres do? Yes, Monty Grandall is going to be back in a couple of weeks. Nick Hundley has played better than last year. So does Hundley completely lose his job, immediately become the second-string guy, and Grandall takes over here? I think so. I think so. I mean, I, there's, a, there's enough in Hundley's repertoire going on right now that I think says he's actually not that changed from who he was before. He's still he, he still strikes out a lot. He still hits a lot of fly balls, and you know therefore I don't believe his high batting average on balls in play, and I don't even believe his 260 batting average. Yeah, and what do we expect from Grandall? Because I really like Grandall. I don't think he's necessarily going to show the power that he did last year with a 17% home run per fly ball rate. But he walks a ton. He makes good contact. He has shown power, not amazing power, but pretty good power in the past. And uh, with the fences moved in in Petco, it's not going to be as uh, a bad uh, home hitting environment that it was last year when he was pretty good. I think that he 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 has the upside to join that that scrum we were talking about earlier. I think that he could um, he could hit. You know, I mean, he already, what do you hit like two two ninety or something? Yeah, he hit two ninety seven last year, backed by a three thirty three BABIP, which isn't outrageous, and he's had high BABIPs in the minors. Yeah, and the, you know, Lucroy Lucroy did something similar. Um, so I think he could be Lucroy-esque, um, with obviously more upside if you're talking keeper leagues. Yeah, I think I would take the over on the steamer projections. They have him at 261, only five home runs and 173 at-bats. I mean, obviously the at-bats are going to be higher, but that home run to at-bat ratio I think should be higher, and I definitely would take the over on the 261 batting average. Yeah, that's important too. I mean, you could almost double that. Uh, played appearance thing. So now we're talking about one of the two sixty ten guys, right? Yep. And, throw uh, another guy into that tier, the ever expanding tier. And it, and it actually, if you look at if you look at our rankings, you know, um, Zimmerman is 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 mostly dependent upon Steamer and Zips, and uh, he has uh, Yasmani uh, ranked the lowest, so he's got him at thirty. <laughs> We've got him at twenty two, twenty eight, and twenty one. So I think the you know the non projection-based consensus is a little bit higher than he ha- he is in our rankings. Or me, who just probably screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I want to get to a last guy who also we're kind of divided on. That's Jesus Montero, who Jeff ranked 8th, you ranked 16th, I ranked 11th, and Zach all the way down at 24 for a 14th overall consensus ranking. So, I mean, he's been a disappointment so far. He's been losing playing time to Kelly Shopik, but... I mean, when I look at his metrics, he looks pretty much the same as he was last year. Yeah, I'm, on some level, um, I feel like fans of a team sometimes hate their own players more than anybody. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm getting in Zach's head, but I do know he's a Mariners fan. 
Unfortunately. Other hand, I mean, you know, he he he's just right about average in terms of strikeouts. Um, he's not his batted ball mix is not extreme in any way, and it could lend itself to to line drives in the future. And he's hitting 44% fly balls, which is way above where he was at last year, which means that he actually might hit more home runs than I even projected because his home run per fly ball rate is normal, same as last year. So with the more fly balls, I mean, that's uh, a good foreshadowing of maybe improved power moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, it doesn't take much to hit to get into that 260, 10, 15 scrum. So I, I don't see why he wouldn't be in that, that grouping. I don't, I don't, there's nothing that leaps out of me. You know, I guess the, the fact that maybe if you watch him daily, you're just upset that he's not better. Um, he obviously doesn't walk, uh, which is maybe predictable based on his minor league numbers. Um, it's surprising that he hasn't shown the power he showed in the minor leagues. And like I said, you got to wait on power. Sometimes you have to wait, you know, more than one year. Um, so I would give him a little more time, especially in keeper leagues. In in these uh, redraft, you know, one catcher, twelve team leagues, uh, there's no reason really to to wait around. No, and you know what? His run in RBI numbers. Like, I know he's been disappointing, but these are just outrageously low. Six runs all season with three home runs. So that means that he's only been knocked in to score a run three times when he didn't actually hit a home run. That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> Nine RBIs all year? That's well, you know, he has his teammates to thank on some level. Yeah, he's on a pace for, like, 36 RBIs, 24 runs after hitting 12 home runs. And 12 home runs is not terrible i mean usually you're gonna score 45 runs knocking 50 or so so yeah the fact that he's batting toward the bottom of the lineup now because of his slow start the uh the mariners offense has not been that good and so it's just everything has conspired against him this year and i think he's a decent by low especially in al only leagues again mixed leagues he's in that huge tier but al only leagues i think he could be had pretty cheaply considering last year was also somewhat of a disappointing year as well. I feel like, uh, you know, at least he's of the right handedness. Um, you know, Shopik is, is a righty and is, is going to, uh, is, is mostly useful for, for playing against lefties. And, uh, I guess Montero is a righty too, but he doesn't have, he hasn't, you know, have the history of, of platoon splits, whereas Shopik, in the past has been almost unusable unless he's facing a lefty. And there's really no reason for the Mariners to stunt uh, Montero's growth. I mean, this is potentially their catcher of the future, I mean, depending on what happens to Zanino. And they've got to see what they have. I mean, there's absolutely no reason for them to continue to play Shopik over Montero, in my view. It, it just yeah, and, and, and Zanino now is, is, is having his own troubles. He can't, can't hit the curveball right now. So uh, his strikeout rate has just zoomed astronomically in the minor leagues and um so you know i think seeing what zanino is going through might be even more reason to to play montero more. yeah and just give him a chance it gives him a much longer leash because the team doesn't feel a pressure now to bring up zanino with his own struggles exactly all right well that's gonna do it for today so join us again on thursday for more fantasy fun on the sleeper and the bust 
for Inosaris. I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.